Hello and welcome to the Parental Recovery Podcast, featuring your hosts Matthew and Claudia Whitaker. Hello and welcome to the Parental Recovery Podcast. My name is Matthew. And I'm Claudia. And today we're going to be diving into Matthew's story, um, one of my favorite recovery stories, and not just because you're my husband. <laughs> um, I just think that your your story is so powerful. I mean, and I've said this to you a bunch of times, but it it really is such a story of redemption and stuff that most people would never be able to fathom if they're in the depths of their addiction that they could go from, you know, having their kids taken from them to being the only person who has custody of them, you know? Um, so I'm super excited to talk about your story and share it with other people. As am I. I'm always excited, one, to lend the helping hand to another addict who is in need, also share my story of strength, hope, and experience that you can be an addict and pull yourself out of it you can recover you can get back to normalcy obviously with a lot of work a lot of dedication a lot of help along the way but it is definitely possible and yes going from having my kids one hour a week to being the one who has them full custody uh, is quite a journey and did not happen overnight but it can happen yeah definitely not overnight so how much clean time do you have as of the time of this recording i have seven years two months and 14 days congratulations <laughs> thank you how'd you do it <laughs> um i so you say one day at a time oh that was yelling in the room yeah i <laughs> You're all like getting ready to tell me how you did it. <laughs> I, let me take a pre- deep breath and tell you how I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, one day at a time. That's how I did it. And so what what rooms would you associate yourself with? Because there there is a difference in verbiage between saying that you're clean and you're sober. So can you explain to anybody who might not know the difference? What is the difference between saying you're clean or, or sober? Because I'm sober. And I'm clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also know you're clean. And I know you're sober. <laughs> so I, I, when I first got clean, I went to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. And they, across the board, don't use any substances. And then if someone such as yourself went to the room of Alcoholics Anonymous, the main focus is not using alcohol. They also strongly suggest you don't use any other mind-altering substances while you're trying to uh, become sober and maintain sobriety. So that's the main difference. I personally feel like most members of Alcoholics Anonymous are also clean, and they will tell you that in a room. So that is the difference, and, you know, just the verbiage you use. For me, I can say I'm clean, whereas somebody may just be sober off of alcohol that's usually what I associate sober with oh I've been sober because I talk to people all the time about this a lot of my work associates this is a very uh, 
usual topic of conversation and a lot of times they're like oh cool i'm x amount sober and like oh cool you stop doing this you stop drinking and like yeah but i still do x so <laughs> that's how i usually associate the two clean means you're not doing anything sober usually means you're just not drinking which is interesting because in the rooms like there is no there is no nothing else like it is talked about that like there's you are sober, you don't drink alcohol, but you also don't do anything else. I think a lot of the differences between what is, it is the sobriety piece, it, in the sobriety piece, I'm sorry, is if you're in a room or not. Because I think people who are sober in an AA room, they know that there's nothing else with it. Like I've never been in an AA room where someone's like, yeah, I'm sober, but I smoke weed. And then everybody's like, cool with that. Like That's just part of it. It's never, ever happened. Like It's not like that at all. So I think like when I hear people who say like, oh yeah, I'm sober, but I smoke weed. I'm like, okay, you're not part of AA. <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, there's that, that's, and if I got, got into it with them about it, like, oh no, no, I just, I just don't drink. I, I, whatever the reason is, they're probably not members of, because a lot of people who are sober and don't drink, but still like smoke weed and stuff, know that AA is usually not the right place for them. <laughs> that's true I mean especially once you start working the steps with yeah. a sponsor because your sponsor will de- your sponsor will definitely uh, ask you what's going on there and mm-hmm. if we need to work some steps around that yeah. and maybe you need to you know go do a little soul searching <laughs> yeah yeah or be in a different room <laughs> that too so seven years that's pretty fucking amazing congratulations thank you very much um so what was I want to talk about your whole story and I feel like there's a lot to it so I'm glad that you know we have our own platform to be able to (laughs) talk about this stuff because you know addiction is obviously part of both of our stories Um, both of us being I don't like using the word victim but like yes victims of narcissists in our past relationships Um, We have so much in common, and a lot of that is what we use to help coach our clients now, um, our experience around all of these things, and obviously blending our family together. So, I don't know. Do you want to just start from the beginning? Um, I mean, sure, but what's the beginning? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) How about um, what what really pushed you to want to change your life and and get clean? Uh, So that... To answer that question, it would be what my bottom is, which is getting arrested for felony child endangerment DUI. Pretty heavy. Super heavy. Um, That was where all of my drinking, drug use all came to a head, and I'd been trying to get sober up till that point, but obviously that didn't work, so... Um, yeah, getting arrested in front of my children and then going to jail and then all of the stuff that happened after that, which I'll get into in a little bit, but that moment in time and when I got out of jail after, you know, whatever it was, two or three days, I got bailed out, seeing my children, looking them in the eyes and telling them, making a promise to them that I was never going to drink again. And that this was never going to happen again. And no matter what I had to do, I was, like, I was done. Like, I was just tired of... I was already tired yeah. of being tired. 
mm-hmm. and sick and tired and building my life up and watching it wash away over and over because of addiction. Yeah. But that was like the, I couldn't do that again to them. So was that the day that you made those promises to to the boys, that's your sobriety day? Your clean day? No, it was not. Wow. <laughs> so. And I think that's a huge part of the story of addiction is that you could have that bottom and then that won't be your clean day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's it's a it's a wild concept and that's part of like we describe the insanity of the disease. Yeah. So how much longer after that? So I got out of jail. I went and saw the lawyer that um my I was I had found. Um my parents were like, Hey, go see this guy. He's gonna be your lawyer. So um I went and talked to him and he suggested that I uh, start going to meetings and get them get the signatures mm-hmm. um, because I'm gonna need them. Go check myself into some sort of rehab, whether inpatient or outpatient, just something so that it looks good when I do end up going to court because we're going to court. Because this was not your first DUI. Yes, this was not my first DUI. Yeah. This is my second, and could have been my fourth or fifth. Yeah, because I've. As much people want, as much as people want to talk shit about cops, I have been let off the hook multiple times. You've seen it. I was there in person. Yeah. You also watched me get my first one. I sure did. <laughs> um, so that yes, it was my nice. second. So yes, it was a felony. Child endangerment was what they were throwing at me. Plus, combined with the uh, first one, which was on damn near the same week, three years later. Yeah. Which was wild, because if it would have been a couple months later, that first one wouldn't have played into the second one. Oh, really? Yeah. So, anyways, back to, was that my sobriety date? No. So I went and checked myself into the outpatient program, and then a week later, I started on a Monday. Oh, your clean day was on a Monday? <laughs> it was that Monday, yes. Okay. I showed up in the first class and everybody sits around and goes, person by person, how much clean time do you have? Ah, Matthew, I have one day sober. And the the person who did my check-in was running the meeting. She looks at her paperwork, looks at me, and she's like, I just saw you a week ago. How do you only have one day of sobriety? I was like, well, I mean, that was my last drink. Like, I knew I was going into a sober um, outpatient program, so... Yes, I had told my kids I wasn't going to do this anymore, but I also <laughs> went and had a last hurrah, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. With drugs and alcohol or just alcohol? Just drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, that's crazy. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you wrapped it up so fine and so, and so quick, but, like, it, the, the severity of that is, is incredible because you had your first UI. Three years later, you had your second DUI, this time with children present. And um, so that's that just, like, eps the ante so much. Like, now it's not just, like, your life you're fucking up. It's, like, the, that all of a sudden... Like, you know you're fucking your kid's life up if you're fucking up. Like, everybody knows that. Like, if I'm a shit person, I'm probably going to be <laughs> a shit parent. But, like, for your kids to see all that happen, like, that's pretty powerful. and um, And so intense... And the fact that, like, this might be the first time I've ever heard you tell that story and not break down in tears. Hmm. Which I think speaks volumes. Like, you've come so far from that. 
So that was the bottom. And what would you describe as like being like your high now? Like what is like your most proud moment in fatherhood and sobriety or cleanliness? Hmm. I mean, I mean you, us. (laughs) I mean us being together, us having this relationship. Um, Yeah, and having the kids uh, full time. We have them every week, except they go to their mom's. Uh, two weekends out of the month so just I mean everything yeah staying like our life now yes our life now but continuing to stay clean is every single day I'm in the right place I'm where I'm supposed to be I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing so that at any given moment I'm there for you or the kids or this family or your family or whoever needs me to be around or I need to be middle of the night I gotta go do this thing like I used to do it I used to just drive around drunk all the time didn't matter like that was just part of my operating system I had no regard for the law or anything like that so my greatest high is every day like (laughs) I don't think about it like that but looking back in retrospect like that is the culmination of all the work I did but also doing all the work like they threw down the gauntlet at me coming, you know, with the child, felony child endangerment yeah. charges. There was, you know, year-long parenting class, 45 days in jail, 45 days on house arrest, a breathalyzer in my car because you have to go through all of that stuff. And then... And you got to pay for all that stuff. An ankle monitor, yeah. like, you know, I'm on, when I'm on house arrest. Plus, they gave me a breathalyzer to walk around with. <laughs> So I had to blow when that went off sometimes at the same time while the one in my car is going on, you know, like, so that whole, like, when they gave it all to me and you look at it on paper, you're like, how the hell am I supposed to do all this? Yeah. So I think getting out of the system, being a felon, being looked at as somebody that is an addict and may not be able to get through all of that, going through all of that is probably my greatest victory and I think one of the main um like I really wanted to ask you that question like right back to like you just talked about all the shitty stuff and like one because I think it's really powerful to see the side by side because you know if anybody listening to this and doesn't and who doesn't know us who doesn't know your story who doesn't know the life that you currently have and like hearing that you can go from being charged with child endangerment of your children and now you're the only responsible party who can have them. Like, that's fucking crazy. Like, in an addict's wildest dreams, I bet in that moment that you probably thought, like, I'm lucky to even get to see my kids, there was probably no thought in your mind that you could ever have full custody of your kids. Because when you and I were going through, you know, core battles with custody of, of your boys, there was... I, there was there was so much doubt I think that you had because of your past and there's you know like you were saying like you can talk shit on cops and the justice system all you want and yes it's not perfect it it fucks people's lives up all the time but this time it worked I think this time it it really put you in the right place like you did the stuff that you needed to do and it made you a better person because you know you even made amends to like the legal system Mm -hmm. you know and that's really powerful too 
And for anybody who's listening to this and, like, has gone through that shit and, like, is trying to get better and might have a few days, a few months, a few years of recovery and trying to see their kids, like, don't give up. Hmm. Like, you, there is hope. Keep pushing. Keep trying to, you know, get those kids back in your life. Like, what would you say to yourself seven years ago if you could? Like, the Matthew right now, what do you think... What, what would you say to him if you could? Um... Staying sober is worth everything. Like, staying clean. <clears throat> no matter how hard it will get, and there will be hard days, like, no drink, no drug, no anything that you think might uh, help you out or alleviate the, the rawness of life. Because that's one of the hardest things for addicts is going from numbing yourself to now you feel everything yeah. every emotion every situation you can't there is nothing to turn to there is no drink there is no drug there is no whatever you used to do to cope or whatever you used to do to numb yourself it's all gone if you continue to stay clean so but by doing so you're present in every moment and you know you're really experiencing life again so I mean, you yes, you were living life, but there was so much of it that you, you know, A, don't remember, B, are numbing, and the thing that I learned, like, the most out of all that was that when I'm clean, I don't have to make excuses. I don't have to, like, cover my, like, try to hide and cover shit, my shit up, yeah. like, and all of the blessings that come with it. They, you know, it comes from a higher power. It comes from the universe. It comes from believing that they're they're available. Yeah. When you're doing bad shit, good shit doesn't come. Like when I was doing bad shit, like I always got pulled over at the wrong time. I always got like yeah. it always seemed like, oh man, why did that happen right now? Like yeah. because God or the universe, which I didn't believe in at the time was putting all that stuff in my way to stop me from doing the bad shit. So yes, the legal system does work at times and it works so well that what four years after all that i was able to adopt your son yeah that was my other victory as <laughs> after i said it i was like oh yeah um going from child endangerment <laughs> felony child endangerment to being able to adopt a kid in four years yeah that's wild and being an addict like they didn't even know i was an addict like i mean yes alcohol addiction but like drug addiction like yeah, a huge drug problem not just an alcoholic like yeah. from that person they would have never given a child they took mine away from me and yeah. now i got him back and i adopted your son like that's fucking wild yeah yeah you're right i mean i i feel like that's such i feel like cruz has always been your son so it's like sometimes i forget that like we had to go through a legal process to make that happen you know what i mean like and it's it, literally always been your and child. it it wasn't <laughs> a guarantee like yeah. i was a big time like of course i want to but yeah. i highly doubt I they'll know. let me yeah and for sure yeah that was huge yeah but everybody in your world because we some of your friends my friends our friends now vouch for me as the father that the, the person i in our relationship that I've always been in your, this relationship is present and sober and like I, there's nothing to like 
worry about with this version of me. Yeah. So they're able to write letters of recommendation to the court. And like, yeah. that's just another blessing of being clean. Yeah. yeah. So I think your past self hearing you say all that would have been like, what are you talking about? That was a very long lecture. <laughs> and the second part would be, <laughs> so you're saying it gets better. <laughs> um, yeah, that's incredible. I always forget that yeah that we had a ghost i mean i don't forget that like we had to go to that legal process so we have i'm looking at a photo of that day <laughs> right now on our wall but so much of like how important that was and also like just like in your journey because a lot of times i just associate it as a personal victory to cruise but it was also obviously a huge victory to us and our family so yeah that's awesome so seeing your progress like just describing it like side by side like your worst worst and like your best times like what was your life before you started to get clean I guess or I guess what I'm wondering is what was your life like and like what led you to become an addict because you know you've you had a quote-unquote normal happy childhood so like what kind of got you there can you shed some light on that for us um yeah I I mean, as far as back as I can remember, like, in my teenage years, just doing normal shit, drinking, smoking weed, uh, so that the want to feel something and the need to explore, you know, recreational drugs was there. Yeah. And just over time, um, just being around, I guess, parties and stuff, I just got a little bit deeper into it, and then... Um, when my first relationship and marriage came to an end, after that, I was in my mid-twenties and single for the first time. So there was an opportunity there to kind of be on my own, do whatever I wanted, but also dealing with a relationship that ended with um, infidelity. So that was heartbreak and being betrayed and all the emotions that come with that yeah and then um just never dealing with it and covering all that up with drugs and alcohol so that led me deeper into addiction yeah and then jumping to like relationships and not dealing with the trauma because i think a lot of times when we deal with breakups obviously it's traumatic you break up with somebody but when you divorce somebody someone who you thought you're gonna be with the rest of your life that's traumatic adding into the infidelity that they caused and caused the marriage to end is even more traumatic like there was sometimes like that i would wonder like when you and i first got together like how is he not more fucked up like he's <laughs> been through a lot of shit you know and like how does he trust me so much when he's been through what he's been through you know and, and that's one of the things I admired about you a, a lot, especially back then, was, like, you didn't... It didn't seem like you carried it over. Mm. And I think that that's huge. And I think that's a huge testament to, like, your recovery process, too. Because, like, I don't know if you would have been able to do that without the 12 steps. And, like, been able to... Or at least to not do that, right? Not, not carry over the anger and feelings or whatever. Because sometimes, you know, people get cheated on. They start to hate the other sex hmm. like all women suck all you know or vice versa sometimes it's men like so that was really impressive so you had like 
a basic normal upbringing and what's funny is that in our our time our day and age like i hate even saying that because it makes me feel like super old but yeah like smoking weed and drinking in high school was like totally normal and then as we got older like when i got to like my early 20s like doing cocaine was pretty normal still like there were still whispers about it but like everybody knew everybody was doing it like it wasn't even like it was like it just turned into a party drug and um and that just like brings me into my next subject which i've already kind of to the cat out of the bag like your coke being your drug of choice right um how did you get into like the coke world like was it just at parties was it just social events and then it got worse like how did that even progress um I always try to remember the first time I did it, and I can't. So <laughs> it must have just been at some party when I was drinking. Yeah. I remember. As it is for most people, I yeah, think. Yeah. That's like a very normal, like, oh, look, what are they doing over there? Oh, let's try it. Um, I'm glad that in our day and age, it wasn't uh, laced with fentanyl. But yeah. that shit's scary as fuck. Yeah, especially with teenage kids. Teenage kids and buddies who still... I say buddies, work associates who still <laughs> think it's okay to dabble. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, a lot of parties, um, it was very pre- prevalent at, at work, in the one my line of work, it wasn't frowned upon, so it was exposed to it a lot there. And pride and ego and trying to be Mr. Macho and look at me uh, just kind of fueled all that and ramped it up. And that that's really what went from being what I would have considered just an alcoholic who liked to party a little bit to <laughs> having a full-blown addiction. Um, and What, like the doing it at work part? Oh, yeah, or doing you? it at work. Uh, and it was, it was almost like you were doing it for work. Like, cause you're, it seemed like you're describing, like, wanting to be the baddest, toughest. Like, did Coke, like, make you work harder or faster? Like, what did you mean by that? Um, I mean on the job that it really like sunk in um we were working a shitload of hours it was the hardest job in the union at the time Mm -hmm. and um still the hardest job i've ever done as far as a day in and day out um and i was still an apprentice in my union so i was trying to i was surrounded by a bunch of people that i'd already worked with but the work elevated my need to be better Mm. so i got better in my skills because i was working with these guys and just pushed myself to a a new level but Mm. also oh yeah and by the way i can probably hang with you on drinking and i can you know hang with you on the drugs and then and then i surpassed most people and still maintain so it was kind of like a oh look at me look what i can do and it just i want to be the best iron worker but i'm also going to be the best drinker and the best drug dealer yeah. interesting and i was in the you know we were in the heart of san francisco and you get off work and there's five bars right there so you drink after work and then it all just kind of it all snowballed if you will <laughs> but that's a really yeah and that coming off of that job i think six months later within the six months of being there is when i got my i hit my bottom yeah so it's all fun and games till you burn out and that's the bottom you're talking about with the kids, right? Yes. My yeah. felony DUI, yes. Yeah. Do you feel like there was an immediate change after you got clean in your fatherhood? 
or did it take the steps or time to heal those wounds? Um, I mean, nothing is immediate after you get clean. It, I'd say it takes a year, year and a half for clarity, mm. uh, brain fog to clear out, finding a new sense of normalcy, mm-hmm. um, and even a year into, even a year after that incident, I still wasn't out of the legal system. I still yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Um, I still had a probation officer. I still had all these things I had to do. A bunch of things that knock off my checklist. I did get a lot. I did. I felt like I did become a better father with the uh, year-long parenting class I had to go to. Yeah, which I remember that. at times was not where I wanted to be or what I wanted to be doing, but I knew I had to, but I also gained a lot from it. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Like Mm -hmm. it was very annoying having to be there at (laughs) seven o'clock every Thursday, but at least I chose a city that was on my way home. So at least it was a little less um, daunting of a task. It would have been a lot harder to make it if I had to go home and then go there. So I made a good choice there, but um, I did become a better father, obviously just being present um, paying attention to my children when they were there. Um, and obviously we started dating and that helps because having a partner who's more, who's very parental orientated and knows what they want, how they want to be as a parent, like that helped me out. That helped me elevate my game as a parent. So it was slow and a lot of it I just had to work on myself because if I wasn't right I can't be right for my kids if I'm not right I can't be right for a partner like I had to get myself back in line do the step work with a sponsor work on the internal stuff that was causing the pride and the ego and the you know even work on the old shit that I never worked on and drowned in alcohol like once all that's gone then I there's still stuff to work on. Like you can stop drinking, you can stop doing drugs, but if you don't ever work the steps, I mean, not everybody has to, but if you want some real change in your life, you want some real internal growth, that's where it's at. Yeah, and and I think everybody who who's done the steps, even if they're no longer members or whatever, or no longer practicing members, um, it's such a game changer. I mean, one of the things that like, I learned right off from you, you being in recovery and me not yet, I was still in my addiction, was that it just seemed like a be a better person program. <laughs> and that we've always joked around about that. Like it's like literally everybody should do this because it's not just about finding out why you drink and trying to stop it. It's really about changing your entire perspective on yourself so that you don't feel like you need to cover up or mask or numb or whatever um and yeah like you said it's not it's definitely not for everybody and there's lots of other ways to get sober and clean out there this is just what worked for us and we can't like moving forward from from that i think would be hard without acknowledging that like how much the 12 steps changed our lives and how much of it we use, like, in our parenting. <clears throat> so, speaking of parenting, <laughs> how do you think that the 12 steps have, like, really affected your parenting? I mean, like, can you give, a, like, specific examples of, like, 
what it was like for you in parenting of your kids, but also in parenting of my kid, like your stepson, who's now your adopted son? Yeah, so, you know, when going through a 12-step program, you learn a lot about spiritual principles, like honesty, acceptance, grace, like there's a whole bunch of them. But Mm -hmm. as you learn them for yourself, you're also learning how to apply them to others. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's three that whenever somebody asks me, like, what what did you, what have I gotten out of the 12 steps or what have I gotten out of going to meetings it's mm-hmm. open mindedness honesty and uh, now I can't think of it but the three are open mindedness willingness and honesty and that's the basis of how I try to operate as a parent so if I'm I try to be as on we try to be as honest with our children as we can at whatever level they're at I'm willing to learn as a parent, willing to, when I don't have answers, seek out knowledge and learn how to be a better father. And then um, just open-minded to the fact that I'm not, I know I'm not the greatest father, but I know I'm doing pretty damn good. And I know that with your help and this, applying those principles to our parenting together that we can accomplish our goals and you know our kids are doing pretty damn good we got one kid with straight A's one's got A mostly B's and I think the other one's got all B's or A's so A's and B's yeah A's and B's it's, it's been a process there's been a lot of yeah, not that, like, grades necessarily define that they're doing good, that they're good kids. But yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, if we're just talking about the, the children they are, yeah. then, yeah, they're very respectful. They're, I mean, we get a lot of compliments on how they are out in public, how they are with our family, especially family they don't see all the time. Just, and people we just met are like, wow, those kids are really well behaved and they're very, their manners are very good. Like, so, and it all, it all comes from... The work that I've done and applying those principles and being able to sit down with somebody else and work on something, whether it's reading a book and then applying it to my life, whether it's actually putting pen to paper and writing out how I feel. Um, and there's other things that I've done, you know, therapy and um, just uh, meditation and anything else that I can acquire that'll help me out as a person, I can always use as a father too. Speaking of, you know, kind of like the fatherhood and where the kids are at, you know, we've talked, we talked a little bit in the beginning about how narcissism is part of our story. Can you dive in a little bit about how narcissism is part of your story and why we counsel and mentor people who are in a narcissistic co-parenting relationship? Hmm. Yes, so the relationship I was in, where obviously the boys came from. <laughs> like you're saying, like you don't want to say marriage. Like, <laughs> Oh, I've already mentioned it a few times in this interview, so in this conversation, this podcast episode. So yes, my first marriage, or our two oldest came from... Um, I was living with a narcissist. She did 
a lot of things that I didn't realize at the time. It was the only only relationship I'd ever been in, so I didn't know any different, so that doesn't help. No, not at all. And that's wild, too, because I just think back, like, what an innocent mind, you know what I mean? Like, was probably molded in such a, like, not great way. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's 100% accurate, because as your... I mean, we were, what, 17, we got together until 26, so as I'm maturing, and I'm, this is the only thing I know, I don't know any different about how I should be treated, Yeah. and how to stand up for myself, and how to, like, oh, well, this isn't right, that's not right, all, all the other people around us could see it, Yeah. And tried to tell me about it, but I was like, oh, everything's fine, like, I knew our relationship wasn't, like, great, but we had two kids, and I was working, and, you know, doing doing the best I could as a father at that time um so the abuse was there I didn't really notice it when you take when taken out of the situation and looking back on it like oh yeah I can see where that wasn't right that shouldn't you know that's not a healthy relationship and with time and age and therapy and you know all of the information that's out there now with the internet and social media and people stepping up and talking about it what is a healthy relationship I've learned all those things and I know personally what to look for like one of the things I've gotten out of 12 steps working with a sponsor when you go to be in a relationship you should have a checklist of like does this person meet my qualifications as a partner Mm. are they going to treat me the way that I need to be treated and am I willing am I doing all the stuff that I should be doing so that I meet their checklist. Like, am I worthy of a partner that I want? Mm, Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I didn't make this. I didn't come up with that myself. (laughs) But it is something very powerful that a lot of people don't think about. Like, yeah. Yes, you want the girl. You want the thing. You want the relationship, the great relationship. But are you putting in the work to be receiving of the great relationship? And I feel like that's so. like groundbreaking for a man because women always have this list (laughs) women have the list but is it an authentic list right like they'll have like oh he's got to be tall dark and handsome he's got to be all these things yeah what was your list oh my (laughs) you really for real go for it you've already told me (laughs) well my list was after a lot of life experience okay my list was construction worker single dad (laughs) divorced (laughs) and chubby (laughs) sorry i couldn't hit the fourth one bearded was was a plus but it was funny because all of those things had there was a reason behind them like it wasn't just like I mean I feel like just hearing that off the cuff like it's like what the fuck like standards girl but the reasoning there was reasoning behind it like and I'll get into that like whenever we talk about my story story, yeah Um, because anyway so like yeah women have the list right and men typically don't Um, they want the girl to be hot right I, I think I think men have more of a list of don't wants Oh, I see what you're saying. Don't yeah. want a blonde or don't want a short girl or whatever. They have more yeah. of a specific type, but that, I mean... And physical, yeah. For men, most of it's physical, and then they hope that the mental is there later. Yeah. And I think the main difference, like what you're saying, is like, now what... We have to consider what is the partner that we're looking for, what is their list? And am I worthy of being with them? Because, okay, oh, I want somebody who's college-educated, who's smart who you know makes six figures whatever and then it's like a girl who has no education is a waitress or not that like they cannot work out but like 
you have to like what's on his list like do you think what's on his list is what you've got going on like that's really important i think that's like such a powerful thing to consider like when you're looking for a partner is is the criteria on both sides so that's awesome and something that struck me when you were just talking about that was the way that you learned about narcissism narcissism obviously it happened after you were out of the relationship many years later the same thing happened for me but I think a lot of the aha moments that I've seen from you just from being your wife is the things that she does or that she currently does or says to the boys to your children and you're just like she yeah I'm not surprised she said that and I'm like (laughs) appalled and you're just like no that's pretty accurate like what's what she said yeah I believe that because I'd be like she wouldn't say that right and you're like no that's one because you know her Mm -hmm. you know her well enough obviously you don't know her now in today's age because it's been a long time but you knew her long enough to know her manipulation tactics and things like that and you're seeing it affecting your kids first firsthand how has has that been for you um I mean when like after we split and like all of the arguments and bullshit and like fights and custody and all that like that obviously is draining and there's nothing that I would put on my worst enemy but it's stuff you have to go through to get what you want especially when it comes to what you want out of your kids yeah and when you're dealing with a narcissist because unfortunately it's always a fight always a fight no matter what it is dealing with a healthy person it wouldn't I mean it's always ugly Yes, but even on the day-to-day stuff, even if it makes sense, like, I, people that are not narcissists or don't have, um, I guess, huh? BPD? Or that too, bipolar, or any mental... Well, borderline personality disorder is very similar to narcissism. Okay. Anybody who, what I would consider thinks clearly, like... Uh rational thinking is like hey I'm telling you this information this is like something that's happening not like my opinion or whatever just the block there's always like a they put up a roadblock and the anger and like the the shit comes from them and then later on down the line they'll twist it around and make it sound like it was their idea in the first place Mm -hmm. that's a lot of what I've dealt with and we deal with still but doing it to me like whatever I'm used to it it's not that big a deal I'll get through it I stopped having emotions about it a long time ago because yeah. it's, I realized that even if I put emotion into it, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. So which sometimes even makes it worse. Worse, yeah. or if it, but if you don't put a lot of emotion into it, sometimes when you do, they may realize that oh, he's not fucking around this time. Or yeah. He really means this. But seeing the same thing with my kids, it's like not necessary it's like why are you doing it to them like you you claim that you care about them so much and you support them so much and you love them so much but your actions and your words don't back up any of that stuff yeah and even when it's super sad to see like it's something that is in her best interest it's super easy to make happen Mm -hmm. but when it's something that she is forced to do or has to do in their interest it's a hassle yeah and that's like the, the the way narcissism is playing out in their lives right now, yeah. and we kind of have to. It's shitty because we are kind of on the sideline watching it happen. Yeah, and that's one of our struggles of of being the parents trying to support the kids in that in that struggle is having to accept, you know, trying to protect them at all costs. Of course, you know, we've gone through the trying to shield them 
block it, pretend it's not happening, defend her. And now we're just like, you know, with help through the kids therapist is that we just have to learn that this is going to be part of their story. And hopefully something will change down the line. But as we know, narcissists do not change. It's very, very rare for them. It's possible. Hmm. It's very rare. Um, yeah, so to see them, yeah, it's, man, it's tough. It's really tough for me as their stepmom. And I put myself in your shoes as someone who's been through through it with the same person. That some things just wash off like, you know, it's whatever. It's water under the Mm -hmm. bridge and with the kids it's just I want to say it's just more pure annoyance because it's like really bitch like now (laughs) to the kids oh for us I thought you were saying their voice (laughs) no I mean the kids are probably going to get it at that point sometime but anyway you know your story is is so powerful and I hope that it can shed some light onto who you are and what we're doing in our mentorship program and what we're trying to help our clients with. Um, you know, and that was just like the really dark stuff, you know, yeah. you know, we'll have to get into our blended family story on a different note because that's a whole episode in itself. Um, what would you want to say to a struggling addict? You know, you shared what you would say to yourself, but what would you say to someone who, is in the midst of just got their kids taken away because of their mm-hmm. drug problem. What kind of hope would you want to spread to them? Um, I guess it's kind of like the, what would I go say to myself, but obviously to somebody I don't know or somebody that's... Someone who's listening. Yeah. Um, the sooner you can put the bottle down or put the drugs down and get help, um, do it. The... The longer you stay in active addiction, the further you're delaying uh, the dream life that you could have. Like, whatever you want your life to be, it can be. And the sooner you get into the rooms or the sooner you get into a, um, I want to call it a sobriety house, but it's... uh, Sober living? Yeah, a program. um, Get help. Get help. Whatever you can do to get help. Um, Even if you're not, like, in full-blown addiction. Even if you're just drinking a couple days a week. Like, your life can be so much better not doing it. Um, And especially with alcohol, it's one of the things that is so... In this society is so just easily accepted. Like, it's everywhere. You can buy it. Um, I mean, they're selling at gas stations now. Like, that, that blows my mind. But... It's just something that you can do it. That was one of my hardest things when I... What was I, What was life going to be like without it? That was one of my biggest fears. What am I supposed to do without alcohol or drugs? Like, how do I have fun? Like, is, can life be fun? Can life be meaningful? Can life be good? or better without it yes life gets 10 times better 100 times better whatever your whatever you can think of and imagine let's say you lost your kids let's say you just you don't have a job or you you know you're struggling in your relationship with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever the sooner you put it down and put it away things start to get better they can't get any worse by being clean and sober things can only get better so seek help um 
if you need help, if you need help finding help, um, you can reach out to us on our Instagrams or on through this podcast. Yeah, we'll definitely link help numbers in this podcast for sure. Yeah, and then there's miracles. I mean, some people, when they hear my story, they say I'm a miracle. Any addict who finds his way into a chair in a fellowship is a miracle. And there's always a seat available for you. And on that note, we will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you, Matthew.